This is Wide Open, a series on how to embrace change and challenge your ways of thinking so you can level up your life, open up to new experiences, and pay it forward to those who need it. I'm your host, Tony Gonzalez. Today's guest is a titan of the sports industry, a beloved American soccer hero and icon, Alexi Lawless. While you can see he's now clean-shaven, many of us will remember Alexi's trademark red beard and long hair, not to mention a level of natural skill and competitive flair that made him so incredible to watch on the field. Alexi valiantly led the U.S. national team through the iconic 94 World Cup, which was located right here in the States, a major moment in the early development of the sport. Well, that was just the start to a lengthy career in soccer that spanned the globe, taking Alexi to Italy, Major League Soccer, Ecuador, and beyond. He's in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame and even found success over his life as a star hockey player, while also over the years exploring his musical passions as a recording artist with seven released albums. A truly talented guy you've probably watched and listened to these days as a commentator on Fox Sports, an outfit near and dear to my heart, which is where he helped educate and spread the love for the world's game. So happy to have him on our show. Alexi, welcome. All right, guys, welcome back to the next episode of Wide Open, the podcast. I'm Tony Gonzalez, and I uh, appreciate you stopping by. Uh, today, got a great guest. Uh, all you soccer fans out there are really going to love this one, but um, I've been looking forward to this. Really? Uh, yeah. You're the one. Okay, this. good. Alexi Lawless. Uh, been looking forward to this because, you know, as and I've known you, we, we both work at Fox now, yep. and so I've had a chance to um, spend some time with you through that, but... Uh, I've been following you obviously for years, knew about you, but I never knew in depth about what you've done and, and, and how you've done it. It's not that it. deep. It's not like a, you know, <laughs> a, a, a Olympic pool. It's, you know, more of a, you know, a, a suburban above ground type of pool <laughs> depth, I think. No, shit, man. You've done a lot. And, and we're, we're going to get all into it. I mean, you, you wear so many hats, uh, which I think is incredible, especially being a an athlete, uh, it, there, there is a lot of depth there. Come on. I don't know. I got to keep busy. That's that's it. Just got to well, keep busy. I turned 50 this year, so 50. I'm trying to you know, do as much as I possibly can as I turn this this corner. So uh-huh. See, well, we're going to get into that because we okay. turn corner. Yeah. You're, you're constantly turning corners. But before we get into it, we always talk about the background of people, you know, when they come on the show, uh, how they came up. And, and you're from Michigan. Yep. Correct? And uh, I, I read that your father was... was I don't know. Is, is your father still, still alive? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my wife's going to hate me for that. You know, she, <laughs> she, she's always like, you need to learn more about these people. Like, so stupid. Right? They should have known that. No, <laughs> yes. He's, uh, thankfully, he's still alive and healthy. Uh, my father is great. though, right? Uh, no, my, my mom's a, the poet, mom's a poet. And my dad is uh, and, and was for many, many years a professor. I grew up in a, a very, uh, whatever the opposite of an athletic household is, yeah. is what I grew up in. Uh, it was focused on studies. Uh, dad is a professor. Mom is a writer very academic type of oriented thing. Uh, but that's not to say that they weren't proud or encouraging. As a matter of fact, I think they saw that when they're firstborn had an affinity for sports growing up in the suburbs of Detroit, um, this was something that was going to keep them out of trouble. Uh, mm -hmm. And this was going to some, something that was going to uh, excite me and that that I was, I was good for it. But to say that they had visions of their firstborn being a professional anything in terms of sports would not be correct. They had ideas and dreams of, of other things. And mm. as is often the case, uh, you take a turn here or there. And it, 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 luckily, it worked out. Uh -huh. So when you're growing up, though, uh, who introduced you to the sports then? Because if, it, if you don't come, like the same thing with me. When right. I grew up, I was definitely not a sport. We, me and my brother are the first people to ever play sports 
in our family. Uh, how did you get started? In? So my, uh, my mom's from Jersey and my dad's from Athens, Greece. He came over uh, to go to university here in the United States, met my mom. Uh, and what ended up happening was we would go back and forth between Detroit and Athens, Greece. And as a young kid, I went to uh, a school back in Athens when we were living there, a British school. And obviously from a soccer perspective, in Greece, I was immersed in a culture where soccer is king, and that was my first introduction. But I was also that American kid, redhead kid, didn't speak Greek, and I would go down to the corner where they played in a, a sandlot, the proverbial sandlot type of existence mm -hmm. for sports uh, and for soccer in Greece, and I would sit there and I'd wait weeks, and then eventually they didn't have a player come one day, so they said, oh, throw the American in, but don't let him play anywhere on the field. Let's put him in goal first. And then I started to learn some words, and then somebody didn't show up, and eventually I got to play out. But that, that whole existence and an introduction to soccer, that's where it started. But then for most of my childhood, I was back in the suburbs of Detroit doing what a lot of kids do. I did mom and dad coaching and orange peels and juice boxes at halftime and all that, all that kind of stuff. But also being from Michigan where the law is you have to play hockey. Most of my time was actually spent <laughs> on ponds and in uh, you know, flooded uh, driveways and backyard rinks and then organized hockey. Most of my year actually was spent playing hockey as opposed to soccer. Uh -huh. so, but, so soccer started when you were 11 years old. Right? Is that yeah, it was really, I mean, from an organized which, perspective. And that's, that's late, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, nowadays they, they come out of the womb and they got to throw a ball in front of them <laughs> yeah. and all that. And, you know, that, that gets into the whole specialization and all that stuff. But I played, I played a lot of sports growing up. Uh, you know, we are of that time where that was much more, I guess, acceptable. But I, I guarantee that I would not have been the soccer player had I not had uh, a lot of hockey, certainly, uh, and other sports, and been exposed to uh -huh. those other sports. It made me a better soccer player, and I believe soccer uh, made me a better hockey player. You know what? And I played football and basketball, among other things. We yep. went to the beach, surfed, and skateboarded, and do all that. I, that is what a lot of these kids today, I think, are, are, are lacking. Uh, you, you talked about you have your two children. If if you want to be a great athlete, you need to play everything, and then you'll eventually you'll be drawn to the one that that is right for you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and same thing. So for you, obviously hockey, because you had a, you were your unbelievable hockey player as well. It was okay. Did you have a choice? Did you have a choice yeah, to, I, to, when you I, got I older? I certainly could have played, gone on and played collegiately when it came to hockey, but you know, something, something drew me to the game of soccer. Uh, you know, I mentioned the fact that I spent some, uh, much of my childhood going back and forth between Greece and, and uh, the United States. So I had an idea that certainly my world was, was bigger than the suburbs of Detroit and bigger than uh, bigger than the United States. And that thread that, that connected me as a 10, 11 year old kid running around uh, in, in Michigan with a 10 or 11 year old kid on the other side of the world, that connection was soccer. And I really, I really enjoyed not just the game itself, but the freedom that it gave you and the international aspect of it and the freedom to kind of do what you wanted. There there weren't as many rules. There weren't as much. There wasn't as much involvement when it came to coaches. Things weren't as as set when you when you went out and on the soccer field. And I enjoyed that freedom that it gave me. Yeah. Now, when you were growing up, though, where you said your parents obviously it's not a sports family, but I'm assuming they were they go to your games. Did you get a lot of support from them? And and with that, what kind of advice did they give you? Who, who was, uh, were they mentors to you? Or, yeah, or I mean, who was that they couldn't obviously sit down and and talk to me about tactics or how I played, but mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need that. So number one, they were supportive. Uh -huh. uh, they were supportive of 
being active, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and this was the way I was going to be active. Uh, number two, they were preaching balance and understanding that you don't get one without the other. And that other is academics and understanding that there is a price to pay for all of those things. The time that you spend doing this has to coincide with the time that you spend doing that. And you don't get one without the other as much as I at times didn't want that balance to be or wanted the balance to be completely different. So that was really, it was really important. Um, and then, like I said before, they, they recognized that this was something that their child loved, mm-hmm. uh, had a passion for, and, and was good, and they wanted to encourage me. I love that, you know, there's that commercial out there where that, and it's been around for a while, where that mom, you see her taking her kid through all of these different things and trying out every different thing. And my parents really encouraged me mm-hmm. uh, to, to be creative, you know, so the writer in my mom, the musician in my, in my mom, uh, the professor in my dad, uh, and then add all those other, other things. And they knew trying different things um, was going to lead to not a, not a necessarily, they didn't care about making me a better soccer player. They cared about making me a better person. And I certainly have my faults. I don't, I'm not a perfect person, but I, the gift that they gave me of being able to function in that world and try as many different things as possible. That's something that lasts with me today. And it it helped me, once again, that helped me be a better soccer player, I firmly believe, than if I had been razor focused and specialized from an early age in one thing, which we know more often than not leads to burnout. Yeah. So you, you take all that, all that talent though, and you get to to high school and and you had great success in, in, in hockey, soccer, but then you're, you're also in the choir. And, yeah. and you're a musician as well. Uh, first of all, how the hell do you have all, all that time? Uh, and second of all, is there? Do you ever think that maybe if you would have focused on maybe just one or two things, do you think you would have been even better? Not that you could have gotten better. I mean, you had an unbelievable career. But I, I certainly think yeah. that I I spread myself out, and therefore, because while while we can talk about the 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 perils of specialization, at some point, I think in order to be great, you do have to focus on, mm-hmm. on one thing. You know, having said that, and you can attest to this, the life of an athlete, while at times there are challenges that others don't have to deal with uh, and, and very unique challenges, it is a pretty cushy type uh-huh. of existence. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful existence. And it offers you and affords you things that 99.9% of the population don't get in terms of time and opportunities that don't have to do with, in our case, that 90 minutes of running around on the field. And so I knew from an early age that in order to be good in that 90 minutes, I had to have other things in my life that excited me. And so I was lucky enough to discover music and be encouraged, like we said, in, in music. And it's something that's lasted with me uh, you know, throughout the throughout my my life, but even at, in high school, I would go from you know playing in the band, the garage band type of thing, or talent shows, or something like that, to playing in uh, or just singing in chamber singers and doing acapella and doing barbershop and doing all that to hockey practice or to soccer practice to all all, all of those different things, and then all you know normal traditional type of uh, education, science, math, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. language. So when you're when you're going through the through all this in high school, what you just said, it was kind of cushy. Was it all cushy for you? I mean, did, did, was there ever, if you could tell me a time that was, what was your lowest point, I guess, up so, until high school where you learned the biggest lesson? Uh, so when I came out of high school, uh, and at that time, the pathway was the collegiate way for soccer. It's changed a lot since then. Now players come out and 
they, they're already almost professional uh, at this time. But I knew that I wanted and, and kind of had to, if I wanted to continue to play soccer, go through the collegiate path. And while I was a big thing in, in suburban mm-hmm. Detroit and in Michigan, uh, it didn't necessarily translate. There weren't, I didn't get recruited in the way that kids get recruited nowadays, and I certainly didn't have opportunities flying uh, left and right. My, uh, so I, I started getting rejected at a lot of places. I mean, I was line, you know, wallpapering my room with rejection notices from a lot of colleges. And uh, we started to panic. And I say we, because my father got on the phone one day and called Rutgers University out in, uh, in New Jersey. And he got a hold of the coach and said, listen, I got this kid. He's uh, six foot four. He's got decent grades. Uh, and for Michigan, he's a very good soccer player. The coach, thank God, was got him on a good day. And he said, I'll just, can I see him? So my father and I got in a car and we drove 16 hours out to uh, Rutgers University. I had never been to Rutgers University, exit nine off the turnpike, let alone to New Jersey ever. Mm-hmm. I, I showed up, we stayed for five hours. He looked at me and said, well, we're going through a rebuilding year. I can invite you to preseason and I can get you into the agriculture school. Now I grew up in Michigan, but I did not grow up on a farm. But mm-hmm. at that point I was taking anything that they had. We drove back and I did everything wrong in terms of picking a school, but it changed everything for me because it was a division one soccer program. Like I said, it was going through a, uh, a, a um, you know, a rebirth, if you will. And there were opportunities for young, inexperienced players like me. So it, it worked out okay. But my dad, you know, exit nine, he kicked me out of the, out of the car. And I fell into a very, very different world at a huge school in New Jersey. And I had to fake it until I made it. Uh (laughs) Did you really, uh, put the rejection letters up on the wall? You really did that? I did. Yeah. Uh Cause they, they kept coming. And, and, uh, I, I, I said, you know, well, the soccer wasn't having any effect. Uh, so, and I wasn't a horrible student, but the soccer was going to have to help me to, uh, to do something. And nowadays you'd be seen. And it wasn't, it was just back in the, in the early eighties or mid eighties, you just weren't seen in the way that you can. YouTube didn't exist even to see things from afar. So it was just a, a function of the times that we live in. And luckily serendipity stars aligning type of thing. It worked out. Okay. Uh, so when you get to Rutgers campus, um, cause it's, I remember back when I got the call, when I got it to Berkeley, there was a, there was a lot of guys um, coming in saying, like, I'm going to the league. That was right. like a big thing. Like, I'm, oh, I'm going to the league. And I remember, it never even crossed my mind, but that was on their mind. Was that on your mind when you got to college or was it like, hey, I'm going to do this, get a good education and, yeah. and go do something else? It, being a professional soccer player uh, was something that, that happened in that I fell into it um, and... I did not grow up thinking about being a professional soccer player. My wall, other than the rejection notices, but growing up in high school was populated with hockey players. Uh, so Red Wings players, uh, Steve Eiserman, these types of players and musicians, uh, Def Leppard and, and Bon Jovi's and, and these types of uh, things and Kiss and Zeppelin and all that, all that kind of stuff. These were my heroes. I didn't have heroes that I could relate to from a soccer perspective. And being a professional soccer player was not something in the early 80s, mid 80s that you aspired to be because you didn't see it happening. So when I went to college and I started getting recognition on a national level, being an All-American and that kind of stuff, and people started noticing, then I started to think about, hey, this could possibly be it. But for an American coming at that time, it's not the way that it is now, um, and that's a you know that's a good thing because it's progressed and evolved. But it was a it was a much more wild west type of existence back then. Yeah, I, I, I bet. <laughs> um, 
Tell me about this. So you start having the success. You're an All-American, like you said, and and uh, the Olympics come along. Yep. And that's kind of the first time America was right. introduced to you. Yep. Uh, and people out there, you don't remember the, the beard and, and the hair and all that stuff. I always am, am struck by people that, and I'm not going to say it. I don't, I don't want to say this is how you think, but you're so free. You're, you're, it, seems, it seems like you're so fearless. And this is why you have no problem trying all these different things. Like for me, back when I was younger, there's no way I could have gone out there with that type of hair and that type of being that different. What's, where did you learn that from? Has that always been part of you where you just say, it's, it's kind of like, I don't give a shit what you think attitude. Is, is that what you had back then or were you just, just being you? Uh, well, I definitely was being me in that I was comfortable in the costume. And I use that word specifically because I grew up... Um, recognizing that I'm a performer. Uh, I've always considered myself a performer, whether it's going on stage from a music perspective mm -hmm. or going on the field. And sometimes when you say that in the context, context of sports, people cringe mm. because it's somehow, it, it's, people sometimes take that as you don't take it seriously or you're not competitive or you don't want to win. That's not the case at all. I just recognize that I love to go out and to perform in front of people. And I still do that today, uh, working on television. The red light turns on. Uh, you go out on a field after you've practiced, rehearsed, which is the exact same thing. You take it out in front of people. I love the reaction that I get from, from people. It could be good or bad. I don't care if 100,000 people are booing me or cheering me. It really doesn't matter. What I don't want them to do is ignore. There is a real, also a real punk ethos to it where if you want to spit and throw stuff, that's to me is, is just, as, just as good. I don't need to be loved, but I need to be noticed. And um, you know, that comes from the whole music background, that comes from uh, the, um, you know, the, uh, the recognition that this is, this is all a performance. And it doesn't mean it's not genuine, it doesn't mean it's not authentic, it doesn't mean it's not honest, but either you're comfortable with that or you're not. And I was comfortable at an early age with that and something that I really wanted to do because I enjoyed that, that, that reaction that you, that you got, whether it was positive or negative. Now, do you, do you think that's something you can teach? Like you uh, just said, do, do, you, do you think it's nature or, or is it, is I, it No, I think, I think you can encourage it, but I don't think you can necessarily teach it. I think that there are, especially when it comes to sports, I think oftentimes we try to subdue that. Uh, uh, and either individually we try to put it, somewhere and lock it away or others around us want to put it somewhere and lock it away. And I think, but you also have to harness it. It, it, it you can't let it get away uh -huh. from, you can't uh -huh. let it get away from you. But I think that, uh, that encouraging athletes to express, uh, to express themselves and to understand how their personality can help them, not just with what they do from a sports perspective, but who they are. We talk so much about image and brand nowadays and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I think a lot of athletes are scared and probably rightfully so, because especially nowadays where every little thing is, is recorded and then multiplied in instantaneous type of form out there for everybody to, not just to digest, but then to comment, to comment uh -huh. on. And so the amount of feedback and instant feedback that you get, I'm sure it can be incredibly daunting. So I, I bathe in it. I, I, I enjoy it. And uh, none of us were ever successful without a, a, a healthy ego and a beautiful arrogance. And uh -huh. sometimes those words, you say those and people don't quite know what to make, but it is, it is fuel for us. Uh -huh. and, and, and 
once you're able to harness that fuel and recognize that, I think you can be the best version of yourself. But I don't, I don't expect anybody to be who I am. And I don't think other people expect me to try to be something that I'm not. There has to be, in, it, in its core and in its, in its essence, it has to be representative of who, who you are. And I do believe in my various incarnations, whether it's physical in terms of my, the optics that I, that I portray or the way that I just uh, have carried myself, at its core, it is who I am. I am I'm an instigator. I, I am an irritant at times. I, I recognize that. Um, I'm a provocateur, all, all of those different things, because that's kind of how I grew up. I'm a, I love to debate. I love to have uh, differing opinions with people, and I surround myself with people like that. But it can, at times, cause problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, and, and, but you got to be able to stand in that fire. Like, I think you, you recognize that. Just, just even recognize and knowing that, uh, I love what you said, that, that beautiful arrogance. Uh, and then while still being authentic to who you are, yep. you can't go out there and try and be something that you're yeah. not. And we come from that era, I, you know, I was a big fan of Dennis Rodman sure. too. And that was huge when we sure. were coming up in the nineties and seeing him do all that stuff. For me, I shied away from that shit. Yeah. I was like, I, I can never do that. Right. That's, that's just way too much because that wasn't authentic to me. Uh, but for you, you're saying all this stuff was, this was natural. This was, and, but then not being afraid to do it. I think that, God, but you also that's have what to, I had trouble and with you have to back it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because there's a real fine line because if you are just a character and if it's all about the way you look or the crazy things that you say or something like that, and then you don't bring it, yeah, then that's a problem. And when I say, and it doesn't just apply to sports, so because obviously in the sports, ultimately that the ultimate judge is when you step on that field, when you step on that court, when you step on that ice, when you step, step out there, there's a score, okay? And there is the world watching and asking you to perform. So I always recognize and reminded myself that, as crazy or as flamboyant or as big of a personality as I or anybody is going to portray, you got to be able to back it up on yeah. the field. And sometimes I'll admit, sometimes that balance got out of whack and I had to either myself recognize it or have myself or be surrounded by people and say, Hey, guess what? Yeah. You're screwing up now yeah. and you need to get that balance back. And you know, as I got older in my career, uh, and even in, even in now in post career doing doing television, what we do now, my first three years, it was freaking scared, trying to measure, be calculated, don't go don't go too far. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know what? Screw this. Yeah. I, I just got to go out there. And that's how I did in my career, and that's when my career finally took off, uh, where it was just like I'm not afraid anymore, and I'm yeah, just going to be me. And that's what it is. It's it's yeah. really a, a fear, and it's a completely natural fear, and we all go through it, especially when we transition into television, where we're having to talk about things and more importantly, talk about people and you want to be respectful and you have to let it go. And sometimes it's just, it's a matter of taking the time and, and before you let it go, before you can actually be so much more yourself and so much more honest and recognize that if you're in this business to have people like you on a, a, have everybody like you, then you're not going to be in this business very long because that's not the business that we are in. Yeah, in the wise words of Mike Tyson, I had him on, on uh, he said he doesn't like people. That people, if you show me somebody that everybody likes, I don't like them because that's right. not authentic. Right. Well, I, lo I love people. I, I am incredibly social and <laughs> gregarious. I, I enjoy it, uh, and I enjoy, and I enjoy going back and forth, and I enjoy debating, and I enjoy people that that I disagree with, and and I, it, it it makes it so much more yeah. more interesting. It, but as I said, sometimes it can be problematic. You know, for example, I have kids. You have kids. Sometimes I will find myself pushing buttons and my kids already know that dad, why can't you just relax? And why can't you just agree? Or why can't you just take my side and stuff like that? So I've had to, 
I've had to look at the way that I treat people and the way that I react and the way that I, you know, the way that I communicate and sometimes dial it down yeah. or go in different directions. Yeah, but you, I guess you, you can't have it that way. You can't have it where every, you can't be liked by everybody and be authentic because you, you have opinions and you have ideas and thoughts that aren't going to match with everybody. So if you're trying to make everybody happy, uh, you're in the wrong place, yeah. especially in, in sports. Well, in sports. I think anywhere in life. In, so. Yeah, exactly. It's and, and, it's, and it's okay. And look, it doesn't mean you go out of your way to be an asshole, all right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're, 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 you're doing things just to be provocative just because you know it's going to piss somebody off. I get asked all the time, do you believe the things that you say? And I tell everybody every single time I ask, yes, I, I, I do, because there is this belief that, and it just comes from a consistent diet of saying things at times that people disagree with. The reality is, though, when people disagree with you, those are the ones that you're usually going to hear. And the, the ones that agree with you, you usually don't hear with it. And oftentimes you'll find that there's a whole lot more people that actually agree with you. Yeah. It's just it's a whole lot easier uh, and it's a whole lot more direct and instantaneous when people are triggered at a certain moment and want to disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day. All right. Uh, well, let's keep going. So you, so you go to the Olympics, you have your success, you guys mm -hmm. kick ass. Um, and then after that, you go uh, and try out for Arsenal. And, and, yeah, so, and, yeah. So the Olympics were in 1992 in Barcelona. It was my first big tournament. I'll never forget being at the opening ceremonies and Jennifer Capriati was sitting over, over to my right. Uh, she had no shoes on. I'll never forget. She had no <laughs> shoes on. That was the dream team year. So they were all over the place. And uh, Fidel Castro was up in the grandstand wow. and uh, Nelson wow. Mandela. It was, it was just a wild type of experience. And so we finished off the Olympics and now I'm playing in the Olympics. I'm playing on the international stage. So I have a pretty good idea that at least I'm going to take, I'm, I'm going to try to be, to, to be a professional soccer player. Well, that's easier said than done. So after the Olympics, I go and I try out for Arsenal, which is Huge club in, Huge. England, in, in England. I spent about three or four weeks there over Christmas. I spent Christmas in a hotel room. You do what you got to do. I spent New Year's in a hotel room uh, trying out for, for Arsenal. And at that point, while I had played in the Olympics, I was still nobody. I didn't have a name. I hadn't yet played in a World Cup, which ultimately a few years later would change my life. But I was just trying to hook on someplace. And ultimately, it didn't work out. But it was a wonderful experience at a, at a massive type of club. And and my first consistent experience in a culture that wasn't the United States, a soccer culture where soccer was king. Yeah. And that was a really weird experience to be thrown into uh, a society and culture and country where you weren't just the soccer guy or soccer. You know, soccer was everything. And, and that's all that people did. No, so, so Arsenal, though, is... For people out there that don't understand, like that's that's huge, right? Yeah. That's like that's the Lakers and when the, the Lakers. Lakers were the Lakers and stuff like that. So, it was so a, it's a huge international club. So that was something that obviously I got to believe that that that's like the ultimate goal if you're a soccer player anywhere yeah, in, if on I had, Earth. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. where you want to be. A lot of people, then. not so much today because they're, they're they're like like uh, teams they go up and down, but it's still just a huge brand and uh, and has always been a really successful club. Uh, maybe not always with the with the wins, especially lately. But you say that and and people take notes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I guess what I'm getting at here is if, if that being a dream of yours, was that tough when you didn't make it? Yeah. That, did, yeah, did when, that you, yeah when you, you don't make teams, when you, when you don't make teams and throughout the, the course of my life, there have been, like we all go through tryouts and you either on one side or the other. I mean, I, I was more often on the side of making the team, but 
you know, this is a trial, it's an ultimate trial. And they come to you and say, it's just not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And like every athlete and, and every person, yeah, that's, that stings, that hurts. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the, uh, the belief in yourself and the confidence and it's, it's faith. It's not blind faith, but it's faith in your ability to take on whatever information they're giving you and become, and become better. And also recognize that it's just one opportunity and there will be others, but you have to recognize them. You know, the, the, uh, those doors will open and a lot about life and even a lot about sports is not just having the talent. There's a lot of talented people out there. Mm-hmm. It's about timing and it's about you know, whatever people you know and, and those doors opening and you not just seeing those doors, but putting your foot in that door and keeping it open long enough for you to get it, uh, get in. And I, even at that time where I said, oh man, that, that, that's too bad. Because at the moment you always think, oh my God, this is it. This is the end. Nobody's ever going to pick uh-huh. me up. And you got to be able to pick yourself up and say, all right, back to the drawing board. Where am I going to go next? Did you have anybody that was helping you through, the, through that time? Uh, not really. I mean, part of, part of growing up in that time in soccer has always been about, uh, for better or worse, and for most, most of the part it's better, it's been about kind of uh, there was no template. There was no game plan. There was few people that had done anything or been through anything. So I couldn't bounce people off. I mean, I get young players all the time that come up to me now and ask me for advice. And I always, I want, I'm so happy that they recognize that and they can utilize that. I don't know if I'm giving them good, good advice, but at least there's people out there that they can talk to that I never had growing up. Mm-hmm. It's a much better environment right now. So I didn't, I just kind of made it up as I went along. Shit. That's pretty cool. I mean, to uh, people know on the show, I mean, when I went through my depressing moment of leading the NFL and drop passes and getting benched and going through that type of time, uh, I believe, first of all, it makes you who you are. It it hardens you for the next time. You just, the bounce back is going to be so much better if you can bounce back. Obviously you bounce back in a tremendous way, but there was, there was not a, was there a book that you read or, or your mom or your dad, were they saying, Hey, it's going to be okay. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get through this and it's going to be, it's going to be tremendous on the other side of this. Yeah, I mean, I always had support. And I guess it goes back to the fact that I also, while, while, I was, while I was going down this pathway of being a professional soccer player, since it was never predestined or, or preordained or anything like that, I always felt like if it doesn't work out, I'm not losing something that I had dreamt of from a, from a young age. And I think that maybe helped out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not that I, I don't want to be flip about it or anything. And I don't want to make it appear like I didn't appreciate it or, any, or anything like that. I just think that there was a reality that was that manifested because of the time I was, I was living in that I'm an American in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, and there's not a lot of opportunity. So there's no, certainly no shame if it doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, it's just a, a sign of the times. Yeah. And I would go back and finish. And I was lucky enough and, and privileged enough to be able to, uh, to attend a university. And I would go back and finish my education and go off and be a whatever, do whatever Wait, I, I needed to do. after that, right? Huh? Did you go to- well, first, so I came back after that, and then the 94 World Cup happened. World Cup, yeah. Um, and that completely changed my life. I'm sitting in this chair today because of the power of what a World Cup can do. And that yeah. 1994 World Cup completely changed my life. It, it put me on stage in front of billions, literally billions of people. 
uh, opened up doors and gave me opportunities, gave me legitimacy that I then parlayed into uh, an opportunity to go to Italy. Because there's no way that they are hiring an American without actually having seen me be successful in front of the world at the World Cup. That kind of credibility comes only with uh, being successful at a World Cup for an American. And then when you, so when you get to Italy, uh, what was that experience? <laughs> so, it was a whole other level of, uh, of soccer. So at that time, it's, ch- it's changed a tremendous amount. At that time, that was the place to be. That was where all the money, uh, all the players, all the um, attention was. And so I was playing against the best every single week. I was also playing in the fishbowl that is Italian soccer and having to adjust to a whole new culture, new language, uh, so off the field, but also having to perform at the highest level and in front of a, a country that is obsessed with, uh, with soccer. And I, I learned so much. I made plenty of mistakes along the way. Uh, I learned so much. I became a better soccer player, but once again, I became a better person for having gone through that experience in, uh, in Italy. Mm-hmm. And while you're going through all this, were you were you single at the time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, which helps, I got to believe. Say, yes, a bit. it does. Yeah. It, I, sometimes I think back to some of the players that I played with and, and teammates that I had, and that had that had kids and they were married at an early age. And yeah. I just I can't imagine doing that. Gotta and more power to them, and, and yeah. they, that they were able to do it. I always was amazed when some of the older uh, uh, players would get on the road. And, you know, we're the younger guys who want to go out and do yeah, whatever. Yeah. They're like, I am going to bed. I am sleeping. <laughs> I couldn't quite understand that. I would come to realize that and understand exactly what they were talking about uh, later on in life. But, yeah, I wasn't I, I didn't get married until my 30s uh, and didn't have kids until until my 30s. Not by design. It's just the way that it all worked yeah. out. So, yeah, I was in, uh, you know, all through the 90s, including my uh, my time in Italy. I was uh, single. Yeah. So so Italy. By the way, you learned you learned Italian too, right? I did. So, so I, you speak I, yeah. Italian, you speak Greek. Yeah, I mean, I can get by uh, with with a, a lot of languages. Uh, Spanish and, too, and so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you don't look. First off, it's twenty twenty, and we live in Los Angeles, so you got to speak a little bit of Spanish uh, yeah. and to function in our in our society and our uh, in our city and and certainly in our country in, in twenty twenty. And so Spanish helps, but the game helped. I, you know, I traveled all over the world. The game introduced me and. Uh, provided me opportunities to travel all over the world, especially a lot of Central and South America, uh, obviously the pre- uh, predominance of uh, Spanish. And so you just, you pick it up and then you're playing with international players. And so there's language constantly flowing around the game and and, uh, and you pick it up. The other part is when you go to someplace like Italy to play in, in Italy, first, first I want to know what they're talking about. So I want to I read the newspapers. I want to uh-huh. be able to watch television, see what the hell they're say, saying about it. And then there's the other element of you want to give yourself the best chance of success and nothing garners more uh, support uh, and gives you more of a benefit of the doubt than learning the language quickly. And in Italy, they don't care if you mess it up as long as you're trying. And yeah. from the very day that I got there, the very first night I was there, the only player on my team that spoke English, I'll never forget sitting in the hotel room and conjugating verbs uh, in, in Italian just so I could get the basics down so that I could say stuff not just in passing or anything like that, but also do interviews. And eventually you get it and it was sprinkled with Spanish and, and Italian uh, and English and all that kind of that's stuff. That's pretty incredible, though. I mean, I you're speaking it's three languages. It's, it's out of necessity. It's out of necessity. So <laughs> I, I may speak them, but I don't speak them that. I don't speak them that well. But it's uh, it's out of necessity. Oh man, I, I envy you. Um, 
you know, I obviously played in the NFL, but uh, basketball, I don't know if I could have, I think I could have played in the NBA, but if I didn't, I remember thinking, well, football doesn't work out and basketball doesn't work out. I'm just going to go play overseas. Yep. And it was because of that. I wanted to go play in Paris. I wanted to go play in Italy, Japan or whatever. That would have been kind of cool yeah, to, yeah. to be on the world scene. But uh, so anyways, um, you, you, you get done with Italy and yep. then the MLS, MLS is just starts. starting out, MLS right? MLS starts, yeah. Uh, I remember Lamar Hunt, uh, yep. the, our owner in, out in Kansas peace. City. What, a, what, a, what an incredible yeah. gentleman. Great what, guy. What I remember they were starting, I got there in 97. I think it started just the year before. Yeah, 96 or, started, or, yep. Yeah, 96. Uh, and we had our, 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 and you actually played for I the I did, I played for, for Kansas City for a little bit. So I, I, so I got done in Italy and Keep in mind that uh, MLS, which started in 96, it's celebrating its 25th year. I can't believe uh, it's celebrating its 25th year. It was off the backs of the 94 World Cup. And so there was that two-year period before it started. So I went and played in Italy, and a lot of us came back. And the reason why was we talked about having a league of our own, literally a league of our own, because it was, it was a barren wasteland of professional soccer leagues for a number of decades. It wasn't that they weren't there, it was just they came and went, they were fly by night, there was folding. And this this, this MLS uh, league that was coming about was gonna be our league. And so a lot of us felt um, a real loyalty uh, and a pride about coming back and starting that league. And one of the proudest moments of my life was when that whistle blew in 1996 to start off a league that, while we had cautious optimism, we, we you know, we recognized that the past was littered with leagues that didn't succeed. And so we wanted it not just to last for our, for our careers, but last our, our lifetime. And that it's into his 25th year, uh, I, think it, I think it gives a lot of us that were there from the start great pride that it is doing that. Yeah, and you, uh, you played for Kansas City. You so I started in New England. Well, New with, England. Uh, oh, yeah, with the, with the crafts. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, of, uh, of uh, marriage and connection when it comes to uh, NFL and an MLS. And so I started in New England, played for the Crafts, uh, had a great time in New England. Then I went down to New York and played for what was then the Metro Stars. Then I went out to Kansas City yeah. and played uh, for the Hunts uh, out there. And then I finished my, my, my MLS career out, out in Los Angeles. So, uh, and now there's just, there's a lot of uh, NFL in influence. Even the commissioner of MLS was actually working for NFL and NFL Europe. And now, you know, he's going into his 20, first year or whatever. So there's a lot of, uh, of NFL influence. We played in a lot of NFL stadiums, uh, especially initially before soccer stadiums started coming along. But it was, it, it still is La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing, warts and all. It's not perfect, but it's also an incredible labor of love and ultimately a legacy that hopefully is going to continue to provide dividends to future generations. Well, it's, I mean, I read somewhere... Um, a while ago, that that soccer is the number one youth sport, right? Isn't that is yeah. that true? Yeah, it's all it, it's, the it's, youth it's, part of it isn't the problem. It's it's getting people to watch it from a professional perspective. And this has always been the challenge that we have yeah. in the United States: is that you know it's a very very different and ultimately incredibly unique uh, sports landscape relative to every almost every other culture that exists where soccer is king. In the United States, soccer hasn't been and isn't king right now. And all the co competition we have with all the other leagues and all the other sports and a, a limited type of history means that this is a, a, a constant effort to try to get people to turn it on, to be into it. And, you know, what we've done over the last 25 years, say, is pretty impressive and, and, and unprecedented when you put up against other sports and leagues. But we still got a long way to go. Yeah. And it's always going to be unique. And we as Americans sometimes feel we have to apologize for what our soccer isn't. And that comes from a 
uh, an insecurity that we have, an inferiority complex. But we have a unique soccer culture, and we don't have to apologize for anything. And as I said, it's not perfect, and it certainly needs to grow, and it has its flaws. But I remain incredibly proud of all of the men and women that have worked for so long, and the men and women that we keep bringing into this tent for what we have created, because I think it's more discerning, I think it's more passionate, I think it's ultimately more interesting than most soccer cultures that exist around the world. Mm -hmm. Well, you're a big part of, obviously, like you said, you're, I'm sure you're, you're incredibly proud of what you've done for the sport, but bringing in someone like Beckham yep. back to, to that, like, I mean, that was huge. Honestly, that's, I'm, I didn't grow up playing soccer. Yep. It wasn't, it wasn't my thing, obviously, but I remember that deal went down yeah, yeah. and going, wow. Okay, that's what we paid getting, for. They're getting serious. That's what, that's you, guys, what we, you guys paid the hell out of it. Oh yeah. Money. What, we paid to have people like you take notice. And so, so I finished my career in 2002, 2003, excuse me, yeah. was my last year. And you know, you start to think, well, what the hell am I going to do? What's going on? And I was really fortunate. As I mentioned, I was playing in Los Angeles and uh, the ownership group there, one door closes. I, I walked into the room because I wanted to keep playing. And the coach said, listen, it's not going to happen next year. And I said, well, is it because of money or roster spots? No, it has nothing to do with that. We're just, we're going in a different direction, right? Oh, every every that, player at some point hears that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I could have said, all right, well, I'm just going to go try to bum and find another place to play. But one door closes, another one opens up and another one opened up and the ownership group uh, in LA, which also owned teams up in New England and out in New York, called me in and said, listen, we have an opportunity for you up in San Jose, sorry, in San Jose, not New England, up in San Jose and, and to go into the front office. And I did not take two seconds. I said, you know, this is another thing, when young kids talk to me, uh, kids, but they're younger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they ask me questions, I say, listen, uh, if you're gonna try to orchestrate the end of your career, uh, to the perfect ideal type of scenario, uh, you're going to be one of a very, very small minority that's able to do that. Yeah. It never ends the way that you that you want it. If you are, consider yourself lucky. And if you see an opportunity um, for a jumping off point, mm -hmm. okay, do it. Because while a career can be incredibly important and ultimately defining, it's still a very small portion of your life. And you hopefully are going to live that rest of your life and find things that excite you and do other things. But those opportunities and those doors won't necessarily open up on your timeline. And they won't always be able to, um, to be there when you want it. And so if you see an opportunity, think real long and hard uh, about possibly making that jump. It might not happen when you want it, but ultimately you may look back and say, that jump, while I could have played a few more years, but I made that jump and now I have something that's gonna last me the next 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. and it's not always easy to see, and it's sometimes easy to say, but uh, that's some advice that I sometimes give off. I don't know if, if people recognize that. So that jump, I recognized, I was at least smart enough in that moment to recognize this is a great opportunity. And so I went into the front office and that lasted me for the next five, six, seven, eight, eight seven years, yeah. Uh -huh. Now with that transition, because we talk about transition a lot yeah. on the show here, um, I've been through it obviously when I, when I retired, were you, I know you said yes, and I did the same thing. When I got the job at CBS, I was like, absolutely, I'll take this. This is an amazing opportunity. Uh, but still, I had a little trouble with that transition. Just, uh, just because, why, why wouldn't I? I've never done it before. Was it, was it easy for you? Uh, was, it, was it tough? Did you ever find yourself going, what the hell? Did I get in over my head here? Yeah, and, well, two things were tough. Uh, one, just I think the, the, uh, the inevitable inability to replace that feeling mm. of playing. Yeah. And that's the other thing I tell young players, you will never ever be able to replace it because it's so unique. 
And that's okay, because you may find something that while it doesn't replace it, it still gives you as much, and maybe if you're lucky, even more pleasure to do it. But it is an apples and oranges type of thing. And once it's gone, there is nothing in the world that replicates that. But there are other things in your life that can excite you and can, you can have a passion for uh, and can take you even further uh, than, than, than playing. But first off, you've got to get over that. And yeah. you know, that, takes, that takes a while to get up every day and say, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that smell, that feel, that, uh, that relationship, not yeah. just relationship with people, but that relationship with that sport that is, you've been doing for the last 25 years or whatever it ends up being. So I had to get over that. The second thing was, I went into a, uh, a front office. And so you're in a corporate environment, which is a lot of people say, uh, you know, a, a corporate environment, it's, it's just like a team and you should, you know, leadership and all those, all those different things, they're just going to translate. No, if you, if you go into a corporate environment and you treat it like a locker room, first off, you're going to get fired real quick. Okay. <laughs> Can't do that. Don't do that. Uh, and you're going to, you're going to fail. Yeah. And so I, uh, when I look back, I was 33 years old. Uh, I was very young. I had no experience. I made plenty of mistakes, but I, I don't regret it for a second because it taught me so many things. And I think back how I had an idea of what that type of person should be, how that person should talk, how that person, person should act. And it's understandable because you're kind of trying to make it up as you go along and you're, yeah. you're using whatever you've seen in the past as a template. And what you do is you lose who you are. Yeah. The reason why you're even in that position is because of the person that you are. Uh -huh. And so... If I, if I had to do it over again, and it's impossible, uh, I would have taken more of who I was and that personality and not tried to be something that I'm not uh, yeah. at different times. But that's, you know, that's, that's growth, that's growing, and that's experience. That, that is so, but it's, it, first of all, it crushes the, the, the average guy who does, I know it this way in the NFL. I mean, I've, I've, I've played with the guys and I've seen them make that transition, and it does not usually go smoothly. It's, it's tough. Yep. And like you said, you're trying to be authentic, uh, but you're in this new role. And you're saying to yourself, man, I want to be like this. This is how I think I'm supposed to act, exactly. how I think. Yep. And you said, but then you're not being authentic to yourself. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a circle of confusion. It is. It is. Uh, and I, the same thing, and too. it doesn't mean you don't change. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't evolve, and it doesn't mean you don't, you don't learn. But you know, it's just when I, when I, and I still see it today. Sometimes I'll see players that have just, just transitioned into different things and they're, and it's, it's not even necessarily something you can put your finger on, but there's, there's a feeling that they are playing a part that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. And that performance that we've talked about where I've told you it has to come from ultimately a genuine place. I don't think it's coming from a genuine place and I can see the, that they are uncomfortable mm. in this new skin. And until they get comfortable, then you're going to get the best out of them. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes time. Takes time. And some guys, they just never, it and never gets there. It never happens. It never, it never gets never there. Happens. And you see a lot of those guys with big names that make that transition. We start, I'm sure we'll start talking about television yep. here. You, you just because you have a big name does not mean uh -uh. it's going to work for exactly. you. I mean, there's, there's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's so simple. You know what I mean? It's like playing sports. Like, yeah, go out there, go catch the ball or yeah. go, go kick the ball in, the, in that net. Yeah, it exactly. sounds so simple, but it's really, really it's hard. Very hard. And it's even harder to have to explain it to someone how to do it. So, uh -huh. so what would you explain to the person who's out there having transition? Uh, if you were talking to them directly, what, you know, like, hey, I'm having, Alexi, I'm having trouble 
uh, finding this this authentic authenticity right. inside myself. How do I find that? Yeah, I mean, so first off, we, we come from a uh, a background of practice, right? Mm-hmm. Repetition, routine. Um, so there is no substitute for that that work ethic and and the ability to learn, the ability to be prepared, stupid, the ability to be on time. All of those different things. Those kind of things. Those can translate, mm-hmm. um, and the ability, you know, on a on a uh, in a sporting environment, everybody understands that you might be the greatest player in the world, but if you don't have supporting cast and you have, don't have people surrounding you that are good, doesn't really, doesn't really matter. And so, aligning yourself and surrounding yourself with quality and with people that you can learn from and people that can do the things to make you better, all of that, you know, all of that is. It, is crucial and not not to be afraid to ask questions or to say you don't understand you know mm-hmm. you sometimes I, rem- I remember being so self-conscious because there's a whole there's jargon there's uh, etiquette there is uh, there is just a whole culture that exists when it comes to especially the corporate world that if you don't uh, if you don't display that uh, you feel very left out, and uh-huh. so you you're 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 kind of faking it uh, at, at times. And it's okay. It's okay. Nobody expects you to understand it all. And as a matter of fact, what I've found is when you do ask those questions, a lot of times they are questions that others have, or just and just have, or they either they have just never thought to ask those questions, or they were scared to death to ask those questions. So you not only will be doing yourself a service, but you will doing even indirectly, you will be doing others a service by asking those questions and having stuff broken down. Now, when it's broken down for you, though, you better get it. Uh-huh. Like a coach, you know, he or she's only going to tell you so many times. And if you can't get it done, you're going to get somebody else to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I th- I'm listening here talking to you. Uh, you you've opened up um, for Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't help in the corporate world, but, doesn't help in the corporate, <laughs> but I think I always say this like success. <laughs> To me, is it's an emotional thing. It's like an emotional feeling. Meaning, you got to be confident. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to, to to be afraid, which is totally normal, sure. and then go through it. Because I always say life takes off on the other side of fear. You got to be able to know your stuff, be prepared. Like all this goes into opening up for Hootie and the Blowfish. When you when those lights come on, I mean, people want good music. Yep. And so, just like when you're when you're on the field. When the lights come on, you got to go out there and you got to put the, you got to yeah. play good defense, offense, whatever's position you're playing. And then the same thing in the corporate world and the same thing in the television world. Uh, and you constantly, what, I, what, what it seems like, you're always, you have no problem putting yourself in a fearful situation. Well, I have in no fact, problem. You thrive I, in I don't that. want to fail. I don't go searching for opportunities <laughs> to fail. Uh-huh. But I also recognize that if I'm ever going to do anything, that yeah. that's a possibility. And, it's, and believe me, it, it, it has happened. When it comes to music, the interesting thing is that it doesn't have to be good. It has to be really good because it's automatically going to be taken down because you're that, the, you know, you're the soccer player, yeah. you're the athlete. And this, is, this, is, this applies to, you know, athletes that do music or act, uh, actors that do music or vice versa and stuff like that. If you're seeing a certain light, yeah. And so sometimes I want people not even to see it, just to just to actually hear it. And so I, I know that I have to be really good just to be just to be good because, and that that's understandable because there's a history of vanity projects and people kind of doing yeah. things that just have the ability uh, to do out to it out there. I take, and I also 
I, I take music as seriously as anything that I've ever uh, that I've ever done, and it's something that I love. It's something that I have a a, a passion for. But ultimately, all of these different things, and I I can fall flat on my face, and I've fallen flat on my face at different times. But I I like that. You uh-huh. know, I people ask me about do you get nervous when you go on television? Yeah. I feel I'm worried if I'm not nervous. Uh-huh. I, I love that feeling when that red light's about to turn on, yeah. and the potential for me to completely screw up is there. <laughs> I, I I I've learned to harness that, and I've learned to recognize if I don't have that feeling, then something is wrong. I want that feeling all the time, and I don't just want it when I'm on television. I want it in life. I want to challenge myself to to being uncomfortable and being in situations that uh, that I haven't been in before, because I think that's where you get. That's where you get the good stuff. And ultimately, that's where you find out the most about yourself. Oh, I love that right there. Seriously. <laughs> because to me, that's how I measure what my next move is or whatever it is. I got to, like, and I don't think, I think when people come in here, the people that sit in this seat, they're not content with playing it safe. They're not, they're not going to say, okay, I'm going to go with the, with the one, with the route that, that I think I'd be best suited for. Sure. And, and I, like, I want to stretch my, you, you seem like you want to stretch yourself and you have no problem getting your ass kicked, I guess. I don't. And- you know, look, I, I don't want to leave this earth anytime soon, but I recognize that there's going to come a day where uh, someone's going to say, well, that's it. And I want to have tried as many different things as possible. And this isn't necessarily about jumping out of a plane or or, or, some, or stuff like that. You know, this is about, uh, this is about testing yourself. This is about new experiences and new experiences and testing yourself can be small little things. And it, it doesn't even have to be Public. It doesn't even have to. It could be private things. All, 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 all of that kind of stuff. But I, 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 I love that feeling of yeah. being on the edge. I love that feeling of it can go this way or that way. It can go very, very wrong, or it can go right, and maybe even go really, really right. And and when it does, there's there's nothing like it. It is it is addicting, uh, addictive. You 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 want that. And I know that there's a there's an ego part of me and an, an almost a narcissistic tar- part of me that that craves that performance and that moment of interaction when when things can go wrong. I, I I've recognized that from the when I was a when I was a kid that I that I need that. There's probably a psychologist out there that can you know psychoanalyze me and tell me why that why that ultimately why that ultimately is. I don't necessarily need it to validate who I am, I just know that that's what gets my juices flowing. That's what I, that's what I love and that's what I want to do. Yeah, well, I think this probably goes without saying, or maybe people out there haven't recognized, but that's the only, pl- the only way to be great at something. I mean, anybody who's done anything that's been spectacular, it's about pushing your boundaries and being sitting, loving being on the edge yeah. of failure. Yeah. Like knowing that it could all fall apart there's something really, really cool about about that feeling, uh, and you, we we talked about fear a little bit. Um, what is, I don't know, is failure as important as winning to you? Like I said, I don't think you should make a habit of failing. Um, <laughs> and maybe if you are failing, either you're not doing what you should be doing, or you're not doing it doing it right. But I mean, we we all know. I mean, and this isn't a a TED talk or anything like that, but yeah. this is, we all know that, that failing can be incredibly beneficial because it, it forces you to reexamine what you did uh, or, or who you are or the things that you're going to do. And it makes you adjust going forward. And so 
yeah, I, I, and even as we mentioned, the potential to fail is, is powerful, um, and, and can, and, and can drive you. And I'm, I'm constantly looking, looking for that. And even in, in the work that we do, where there is that, that bombardment and that instant reaction from everybody out there, because now everybody has a, a megaphone and, and a platform from which to tell you how much you suck. Yeah. Even within that, I look at that edge and the the potential for this to go very wrong, uh, or even when it goes right, for the potential for people not to like it and all that kind of stuff. And I I I eat that up. And I don't expect everybody to do it the same way or feel the same way or or want or or want that. I recognize that that can probably for some be incredibly debilitating. And I don't know why, but I'm wired where it's, it fuels me. <laughs> You're sick, man. <laughs> uh, well, you, you talked a little bit about it there with social media. Mm. Um, you're a big voice on, on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you like that. Mm. Do you, do you read all the negative tweets sure. coming back to you? So you, but you have no problem. I see. I can never yeah. do that. Yeah, I, all those people out there that tweet me negative stuff. Guess what? I don't read it. I, I, cause it, I, it gets to me. Uh, I know. I know. And I, I, I completely respect that. And, and I, at times I wish I was like that. I, um, as I said before, that whole, <laughs> uh, that whole punk ethos of go ahead, spit, throw. I don't really care. It just makes me, it just makes me stronger. Um, it's, it is, and I've never blocked anybody. People have said horrible things and whether it's, you know, death threats or, or, you know, all that kind of just horrible stuff. That's all. Cause I look at it in, in a strange way, almost as a video game. I, it's a, I, I, I play Twitter um, in that, you know, the reaction that you get from me and the reaction that I get from you once again is, is a, uh, a give and take, you know, we've kind of signed up for, uh, signed up for that. And if I don't want it, then I, I turn it off. Now, I recognize that that Twitter is a is it's a bad focus group. It is if if you're basing how you live your life and the things that you do in your life on Twitter, then you're you're not living a full life and you're having problems. Uh, and you're going you're going to you're going to have problems. And I don't ever want to do that. So I I look at it as just a, a small part of the brand or whatever or whatever we want to call that out there. But I, I love it. I, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good thing. I, obviously I, not that, not that I'm, I can't handle it. I just, I just, I don't know why I just like, I, I can't even pay that anymore. But you but, got, but that's but people, understanding what you need in order me, to function yes. as a human being. That's, that's huge. I mean, to have that self-awareness and that, that can, that can show up and manifest in, in a billion different ways. And so that's important for you. That's, that's maturity. Uh -huh. Were you like that when you played? Do you talk a lot of, Lots yeah, I mean, I, can, I, I think about what it would have been like if, if Twitter and social media had been around when I played. And <laughs> I sometimes think about how would I have gone through that where just in the palm of my hand was this megaphone to say stuff because a lot of the stuff that, and I mean, can you imagine the stuff that we did if it was videoed and photographed and tweeted about you know, on a consistent mm -hmm. basis? I, I recognize that it probably makes you change the way that you go about living your life as an athlete right now but so you you talk you talk trash to people you, yeah sure and we're you're an emotional you're an emotional guy i am right? an emotional guy yes. uh, would you say you're sensitive yeah i'm a lover not a fighter that's for uh -huh. sure like i mean if somebody said something to you on the field could you ever just let it go or were you like i have to react because that i 
Because no, that's what I'm saying. When people no, react, I'm yeah, like, you're, you're sensitive. It would depend. Oh. Like, the only, the only time I, re, I, you couldn't say anything to me that would make me see red and I'd lose it. Uh, what always used to bother me was when something was said that lacked wit uh, or wasn't clever. I said, I mean, if you're going to take the time, we, <laughs> anybody can F you, right? I mean, anybody uh. can do that. It, but it's kind of benign. It just boom, boom, boom. But when somebody actually said something that had required some research or some understanding, there was depth and nuance to it. Uh. Ability for somebody to do that in that moment, that's, that's beautiful. Uh. And that gets my attention. And you that, almost respect it. Like, I, oh, oh, absolutely, okay. I respect it. Yeah, you got me on that one. That was a good one, you know? Uh. And, and whether, you know, it had to do with something that I had done or said or, you know, whatever, the, the way I looked or something, you know, that kind of stuff, that's, that's the way to do it, yeah. you know? And so. Uh, uh. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I think back when guys, I'm, I think I'm more like you. I never really responded when I was playing. Um, because I felt like it took me out of the game, but I definitely know players like they love that. Like someone like Richard Sherman. Yeah. Like he loves that. Like, like bring it on. You, all you're doing is fueling me. And right. I, you, you're probably getting that when you get to Twitter, when you start getting to these Twitter That's wars it. with people, it's it, like, oh, this is great. It I is. Love it, it. It, I, and you know, and I, I grew up in a, in a household that was, um, you were required to defend uh, your side and, and it was, there was a lot of debate and you had to take other sides and you had to look at people at, at different um, arguments from somebody else's shoes and, and look at things from different, different angles. And so that challenge type of culture was something that I grew up with. And so that's probably why I gravitate to a lot of the, the challenges and the debates and the back and forths that I do, because you know, what, my wife will say, why, why do you even bother? Why, why do you even give people time? Why, why, why should you, you're making their day by doing that. So why mm -hmm. are you doing that? They're, they're getting a rise out of you. And I, like I said, I just, I enjoy doing enjoy it. it. It's a game. Yeah. It's a game to yeah. me. You know? yeah. I love it. Until they show up on your doorstep. Yeah. Well, the whole death threat <laughs> thing. Jeez. That's scary. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, we always talk about, talk about your health habits. Obviously you played a long time. Are your body feeling pretty good? Uh, I'm good. I, I'm turning 50 this year. I constantly run. Um, you run a lot, like miles a week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't I run. Is that good for your, for your knees? I thought it's, like, that's it's not, not good for your good. back. It's and not your knees good. As a matter of fact, uh, when I go for my yearly physical, each and every time my doctor says, you know, you can't keep this up. Uh, you know, so I tried, <laughs> I tried swimming. So I never grew up swimming. I can swim. You throw me in a pool, I'm not going to drown. I can swim. But have you ever swum? Like yeah, for, yeah. for exercise? So yeah, I tried it for the first time because obviously it's, it's yeah. low, no impact and I, I was looking for some other things to do. And I get in this pool and I mean, I go one lap down there and I, I think that they're going to have to call a doctor and pull me out of the pool. I said, this is how it's going to end. I'm going to die in the, in the <laughs> deep end of this pool here. And there are 80 year olds going up and yeah. down because it is a completely different set of yeah. muscles and the breathing part of it was uh, it was incredible so i've tried to get into swimming but for the most part i run and i run a lot and i recognize that it that it's limited and uh, and and the end is coming and so i'm gonna have to do well, well swimming not, and that you kind know, of stuff you, you live by the beach now you can That's true. maybe you can surf or can, something like that but yeah, I what I about infrared sauna uh cold therapy you do it like biohacking anything? no i haven't done any of that no, i, no, I haven't stuff. done that i guess i i guess i'm Old school, old school. Uh, yeah. Running and and vodka, yeah. Running and vodka, those are good. Those are good. I like. Cookies, yeah. Uh, you like um, 
uh, coffee. I don't. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine. Never have. I wish I could because I see the the effect that it has on people and the dramatic change that it has. And I wish there was something like that, um, you know, other than cocaine or whatever the hell is that, that, that that's out there right now. That there's something legal that people are able to do. The problem is, is that when I have caffeine, it has the opposite effect on me in that. I feel I'm le- in less control. That that uh-huh. alertness that people love, that people crave, I don't get that. I feel like I've lost control and I don't I'm not able to focus. And so it just it just doesn't work for me. So I don't drink uh, caffeine. I stopped drinking beer when I was 30. Um I stopped drinking uh soda in my mid 20s. Uh-huh. Now, look, I'm not this isn't me pounding my chest and saying how great I am. I still drink plenty of wine and plenty of uh of vodka and uh plenty of crap out there, so I'm not uh-huh. you know, what about food. Yeah, nutritional. Yeah, I mean regimen. I don't have a regimen. No, I, I, I don't have a regimen. Intermittent fast or anything like that? I did a fast for a day. Uh a juice fast for a day. For a day. Right, yeah. Well, I wanted to see what it was like, right? I had to test the waters. It was a, a guy. Day. It was a guy I was working with at Fox who was like on That's a good. week-long one. Yeah, a day's good. That's hard. A twenty-four-hour fast is. Well, I mean, I had, all they gave me was juice to drink, man. That, that's not going to suffice for the day. So, well, it's a fast. I know exactly. <laughs> the whole point of the fast was lost on me, and once I realized that I wasn't going to get anything to eat. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I well, don't really healthy. I know it's healthy. Uh, so I, I, I have my vegetables. I try to be balanced mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I love, uh, I love sushi and, and that kind of stuff. Fish, love all that, all, all that kind of stuff. But I'm, uh-huh. I, I wish I could give somebody the regimen, um, or a good regimen, but I don't. Uh-huh. Well, you look like you're in good shape. I try. All yeah. I do is yeah. run. That's it. Uh, that's uh-huh. what I do. I, I, I run a lot. So um, well, if you ever think about fasting, uh, there's an app called Zero. Okay. That's what really, really help you. It'll okay. organize it and all this stuff. If you ever, I always say it's, it's fast. But it's like a juice things. fast or just a fast? They have doing all anything. these different types. You can do a 24-hour, t- intermittent fasting, three-day, five-day. Yeah. I've never done that. I'm going to do it sooner or How later. How much the longest you've done? Uh, 24 hours. 24 hours. And I do that every so often. Like every... Every three weeks, I'll do a 24-hour fast. No juice, no nothing? Just nothing? Nothing. Just uh, just coffee in the morning. Okay. And uh, and that's it. And then and you're we'll, good to go. We'll eat until the next, till that, that now, night. Now, when you wake up that next day, are you famished or it's pretty much normal? So I do it. I start, I eat dinner that night, okay. and then I won't eat until uh, dinner the next night. Okay. So, okay. Right. So, so there's no sleep easy. in between before you wake up. Okay. Yeah. Um, and well, sleep. I, well, this, this, well, the sleep after you eat, though. Sleep after you eat, though. Yeah. And I'm big on sleep too. Are you are you a sleeper? Yes, I am a big sleeper. You, so you get your Absolutely. good amount of sleep. Yes. Yeah. I, so good I talk you. sleep and hydration. Sleep and hydration. The first words I taught my kid was hydration. Yep. First words? First words that I tried to tell my kids was uh, hydration. They'll tell you. They're like, oh, dad, with the hydration. <laughs> hydration, key to life. You got to hydrate. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Okay. <laughs> Not mom or dad or anything. Nope, it was hydration. Hydration, son. Exactly. All right. Um, um, a couple final questions. Okay. Uh, what's a musical artist or band that you'd love to jam with or make music with? Jam. So I grew up in... Uh, they can be living or dead, too. Yeah, yeah, So I grew up in the 80s, and, uh, you know, I first started off on the, all the classics, so it's the Beatles and, and Zeppelin, and then it moved into Van Halen and Kiss, uh, and then it was a whole 80s metal thing, so Rat and Bon Jovi and Poison and Def Leppard and Warrant and... Skid Row and all those different things. But I was also listening to Neil Young and Tom Petty and John Mellencamp and uh, and then going into like the Lemonheads and Third Eye Blind in the 90s and all that, all, all that kind of stuff. 
you know, I'm a huge, huge uh, 80s metal guy. So like a band call, uh, called Rat, which is, a, is my favorite band ever. Um, I, I love them. I see them huh. constantly. I don't know. There's round something and round, that, right? Yeah, round. and it's just something that hits you when you're in the at the right age, and uh, and it's just never gone away. Uh, gone away. I just I I love it. Uh, I love it so much. The music that I do is nothing is nothing like that. Mine's much more pop rock uh, type of stuff. It's based. You know, starts on acoustic guitar usually, and then morphs huh. into a more of a uh, of an electric and and band sound and stuff like that. But you know, just your influences find different ways uh, through that. So that would be that would be someone. Very cool. By the way, do you you write your own music? Oh yeah, and you play the guitar, sing, play guitar. Sing, I program guitar. all the stuff nowadays. You can do so much stuff alone. So I keep putting out the albums for all three of the people that uh, that want them, including my mom. <laughs> and uh, and it's 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 I just love to do it. And so uh, that's good. You're like a renaissance. Man. I don't know about that. I get you writing book. You write any books or anything? I haven't. I I tried writing a book once, and then I said. Well, I'm not done yet, and mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> I I, st- I like to think that there's some more chapters. Poetry or anything? I did like some mom? poetry. My mom, I mean, my mom's the poet, so she she does all of that. She's in a whole other uh, level than than I am. So, but you know, lyrics are are, are basic poetry. poet yeah. poet uh, poems anyway. So, huh. very cool. Um, well, food. Uh, I always ask this question: What's your sushi? Yeah. What's your last meal on earth? That uh, I think I would do a sushi. I, I love me a, a unagi uh, eel. Uh, I love eel. I don't know why. I never grew up having sushi. I didn't start. I probably didn't have sushi until my mid twenties or mm-hmm. something like that. And then I was so angry at my parents for never having it in uh, in Michigan, uh, not the sushi capital of the world. Yeah, uh, no, like say, you're, but you're yeah. So it would probably be sushi. Uh, and then some ice cream, but also uh, I am a connoisseur when it comes to red licorice. Um, and I don't differentiate between red vines and uh, Twizzlers. I don't care. I know that, that's sacrilege to some people, yeah. but I don't care as long as it's red licorice. I will I will eat it. Uh, and then uh, nectar of the gods, uh, Slurpees. 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 Uh, I'm a traditionalist, so it's either Coke or cherry. But I'm I'm a cherry uh, uh-huh. cherry side. None of no mixing. No none, none of the no other suicide, stuff. No suicide. None of that. None of that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Straight up cherry Slurpee. And uh, you know I I am I will do anything that you ask of me if you give me a cherry Slurpee. Cherry. I haven't heard that word in a. I've, I didn't there even you know go. It's probably not on your uh, fast diet no, over no, there or anything not, like that. It's probably resume. not included in that. Yeah. So sushi. So so sushi. Uh, red vines. Slurpee. Uh, yeah, he said one more thing. Right. Some ice cream, I probably ice have some cream. ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream, I definitely have some ice so cream. So you're gonna serve coffee that. ice cream. I don't drink coffee, but I love coffee ice cream. Wow, yep. there's there's a little quandary there. Yeah, I know yeah. it's crazy. What would I, and who would you eat that with? Give me three people in history, living in or history, dead. literally in history. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, living or dead. Oh, uh, let's see here. Um, my goodness. Well, you know, the usuals. What do people say with the usual? Right, it's like God and and that kind of stuff, or Jesus and. Yeah, we've had a couple of Jesus. Yeah, a couple of Jesus. Anybody living or dead? I mean, sounds like. I mean, he sounds like he he'd have some good stories, right? Yeah, a lot of stories. So, I mean, <laughs> he likes wine. Yeah, right. I like wine, so that sounds like a good start. Uh-huh. So him. Uh, uh, who else? So you him. Got two more. Two more slots. Oh my goodness. Uh, two more slots. Uh, let's see here. I, I'd probably do some musical type of yeah, stuff. So, uh, Elvis would be kind of cool. Elvis. Okay. Okay. He likes food. That's a first. He, no likes, that Elvis he likes food. I think that would be a, a cool uh-huh. thing. I try, I'm, I'm trying to get like an eclectic type of thing. Yeah, you so have a good time, good dinner. I got Jesus, I got Elvis. Uh-huh. I think I need 
something, you know, like um, somebody more technical, like an Einstein. There we go. Einstein. There we go. That would, that would okay. be three, three people that I would chill with at, at dinner. I think that would be good. Yeah. Get your Twizzlers and your sushi. Exactly. Yeah. I, you can you imagine Einstein having a Slurpee? That would be good. <laughs> that would be funny. Um, what, uh, what moment would you like to relive? If you could. If you know I, I mean? could? Yeah. I mean, uh, we talked earlier about how the 1994 World Cup came to define me and changed my life. Uh, and so it was, it was a wonderful summer. So, I mean, um, it would be fun to go. I, I don't have a great memory of things. That's one of the reasons why I wish social media also had been around because it is almost a diary. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't have that. Uh, my diary is much more in, in the music and in the songs, and therefore it's, it's not as the, the clarity isn't there that sometimes exists when you're able to take constant pictures. I don't have a lot of memory of that, of that summer other than it was very, very epic and important yeah. in my life. Um, do, do you read, you read a lot of books? Are you a reader? I am a reader. I haven't what, read. What's your favorite book? What, what's, my, what book would you recommend to somebody? My favorite book? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the classics. So like Kill a Mockingbird and, and these types uh -huh. of things, uh, Watership Down, these, uh, stuff like that. Um, I, I am a huge, like biographies and stuff like that. So music bios, uh, in are always, uh -huh. always good. Um, so that kind of stuff, yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I watch constant documentaries. There's, there's a great documentary uh, from Mike Wallace, who you may have remembered from 60 Minutes. And it, it actually is interesting. We were talking earlier about performance on television and uh, being in front of the camera and stuff like that. You should really check it out because it's really interesting to hear, hear him talk about, especially from an interview perspective and how he approached interviewing people and how he uh, approached his performance on uh, camera. I saw it just the other day. I can't remember what the actual name of it, but it, you, you can find it out there. Oh, it's it's Mike Wallace. Because, you know, you know our, our job, obviously, and I don't know if you found this going through it, but we find a lot of people that are kind of just, going through the motions in that they're using it as a way station until something better comes yeah, along, yeah. Uh, waiting for coaching job or front office job or whatever it ends up being. And you can get away with that for a little bit, but I, ultimately I think it, it manifests itself in your performance yeah. and you're cheating yourself and you're cheating the viewer. And I love what I do. I'm a junkie for television. I don't want to do anything else. People constantly are asking me, do you want to do anything else? And I love, uh, I love what I'm, what I'm doing, but uh, I know you asked me about what book I read, and I went off on a tangent there. No, but I just, I, I just <laughs> think open. about, I think about that that performance and and what we do, and it, I guess it applies to anything in life. You want to be surrounded by people that are as invested uh, and as passionate as you are about what you're doing. You want to be surrounded by junkies that that live for it and mm -hmm. want to want to do it and want to get better at it. Uh -huh. You know, you kind of answered this question right there. Oh. Uh, what's what's the legacy you want to leave behind? Uh that you know, hopefully, I helped help the game that I that I know and love. I mean, mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's that's it. I, I you know I was in Nashville this weekend. A uh, brand new MLS team just came online. Sixty thousand people in the stadium uh, in 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 Nashville, in Nashville, Tennessee, and it warmed the cockles of my redheaded heart to uh -huh. see that. And when I when I see what soccer has become, and with, without a doubt, has a long way to go. But when I see where it's what it's become. Um, you know, th and that I played a small little part in it and hopefully can continue to play a small little part in it. 
Um, it is, there is a, a community and a family uh, of soccer in the United States. It's no longer niche, it's no longer underground, it's above ground, it's vibrant, it's discerning, it's passionate, um, and it's unique and it's different. And it, and it makes me incredibly proud that it exists and that you know I've been in this game for many, many decades now and I've seen the way that it's changed. And hopefully when I'm dead and gone, it will continue to grow and continue to get bigger and bigger because it gives people something really unique and different in terms of their sports landscape. And that international aspect of it, I think it, at times when sometimes we can get so closed into what we are, and I remain incredibly proud of being uh, from the, what I think is the greatest country in the world, in the United States, I also recognize and respect that we are part of a, a global community. And that global community, soccer is that thread. And so that's yeah. what attracted it to me as a young boy. And I think that's what's going to fuel it going forward, in particular, and how it grows in the United States. Nice, sweet. Last question. Uh, what's one area of your life that you'd like to improve in that you're wide open to learning more about? Uh, the way I interact with my family, I don't know if you get this, but um, because of what we do on television and that performance aspect of it, uh, you have to be able to separate the two. I mean, sometimes my wife will say, you're not on television right now. Mm. And uh, it's important. It's important because the way that you interact and that you talk with uh, your family and your kids, um, it has to be different than the way that I'm interacting and talking right now and th this performance that's going on right now. And you have to save something different and special for them. And uh, I'm working on that. I'm working on, on being better at that. I'm not horrible at it, but I'm working on being better at that because as much as I love television and as much as I love the things that I do, there's nothing above the relationships that you have, whether it's your family or whether it's your friends and those real, authentic, genuine, types of interactions that you have. And if you, if you taint those or hurt those in any way because you don't have that ability to interact uh, in a genuine way, then you're missing out. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna miss out on that. Mm, love it. Thanks for coming on, Bo. Thank Appreciate you, it. thank you. Good Appreciate luck, it. good luck with this. Yeah, thank you. you know, thank this you. is great. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, thanks for listening to Wide Open. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all podcast platforms and hit me up on social media at Tony Gonzalez 88. Love to hear from you, answer any questions uh, and just wanted to say thank you.